We are uh, in uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. If you turn to Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3. You know, every time we sing together, it, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit um, that this is not a means to an end. This is the end. Like, this is what we were made for. If there's a reason uh, when we sing that you just seem to, to have this sense of, ah, like, this is where I belong, Right? Like at the, at the feet of our great God, lifting up his praises, telling him how great he is and how faithful he is. It's because you were made for this. You were made for this. There's something at the core of our souls that, that resonates when we sing. Whether we could sing a Zimbabwean uh, uh, chorus like Alpha and Omega or, or whether we sing uh, an old hymn like Hallelujah, What a Savior, whatever it is, as we span generations and cultures and all of that, we all gather together and say, this God, you, our God, are worthy to be praised. You were made for this. And so it was so good uh, to, to sing with you and, and to add my voice uh, with the voices of my church family, and, and, uh, and, and, and we might as well get used to this because we're going to be doing this for a long, long time. So <laughs> if you're in Romans 3, say, I'm there. All right, Romans 3, beginning of verse uh, 27. Then... What becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Well, yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. <laughs> and now let's pray that God will give us insight into his word and understanding that we may leave out of here giving him even more praise and glory and thanksgiving. Let's pray. So Father, I ask that you would indeed uh, move in us and among us. Give us understanding. Help us, Lord, to love what we uh, think, to love what we see, to love what we grasp, Lord. I pray that we would see more of your glory. I pray, Lord, that we would recognize even more just how incredible of a God you are. How marvelous is this gospel, this good news that you have entrusted to us. 
And Father, I pray that we would leave out of here more confident in the finished work of Christ. And that we may uh, not only live in these truths, live in Christ, but Lord, I pray that we would also, with even greater boldness and greater compassion, proclaim this good news of Christ crucified and risen to our neighbors and to the nations. Father, I pray for those of our family who are overseas right now, sharing this good news. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that your spirit would be with them. And I pray, Father, that with great boldness and with great love, uh, they may make the name of Christ Jesus known. And we thank you so much for that. For our missionary friends uh, uh, that who have gone from here to the ends of the earth, Lord, bless them in their work. Church planters, bless them in their work, Lord. I pray that you would do great things as you exalt your Son in and through us in our neighborhood and even among the nations. And Father, I pray that this word here that you give to us uh, would uh, work to that end, that your great name may continue to go forth from this place and from these people for your glory and for your honor. Lord, if there is anyone here that does not believe in Jesus, I pray that you would make it abundantly clear that Christ is exactly who he says he is. That they may turn from their sin and that they may be counted righteous in Christ and in Christ alone. For in him and in him alone can we be made right before you. We thank you. We ask big things because you're a big God. Show off that we may praise your name. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in 2017, Mike Rumpf was the cornerbacks coach for the University of Miami football team, the Hurricanes. Any, any Miami fans here? Oh, we got a Miami fan here, okay. The U, that's what they do, the U. That's, what, that's their little thing that they do. Um, he... <laughs> He coached uh, uh, daily when he was the cornerbacks coach. He would coach daily to his guys that he didn't just want tackles and he didn't just want stops. He wanted interceptions. He wanted fumbles. He wanted turnovers. By the way, for those of you who don't know, he would be on the defensive side of the ball. Um, he wouldn't be asking that of the offense. <laughs> Turn the ball over, over and over again. No, no, no. This is a defense thing. Stop them. Turn the ball over. Why? Because he understood that fumbles and interceptions would completely change the momentum of the game. That's what you want as a defense. You don't just want to stop the offense, but you want to, you want to impact the momentum of the game. And so he wanted something that would incentivize turnovers. He wanted a way to reward players for their performance in the game. So, one day he got an idea. He called his friend AJ, who owned AJ Jewelry in Miami. It's a jewelry store. And Coach Rumpf asked him to make a 10-carat gold Cuban link chain with the team's logo, a huge U studded, studded with 900 green and orange gems hanging at the end of it. And so they called this thing the turnover chain. 
And the rest is history. Whenever a player would, would, would cause a fumble, whenever a player would cause an interception, oh, they'd be really excited and they'd celebrate on the field, but they couldn't wait to get to the sideline. Because when they would run over to the sideline, they would take this big old Miami chain and they would, uh, with all the pomp and all the, the, the theater, they would take it and they would put it on his neck. And he would walk around the sidelines with the turnover chain on his neck. And, and, and that was what it was all about. It was about praising them for their performance. You did this, and because you did this, everybody knows you were the one who forced that turnover. It was the turnover chain. It was also showboating. <laughs> and, and if you know anything about University of Miami football, you know that they are near synonymous with showboating. Uh, just all through the decades they've done this, uh, they always find one gimmick after another to be able to flaunt and say, we're the you. And you don't want to mess with us because we will embarrass you. And then we will stand over you and we will brag to your face. Right? That, that's what they do. Showboating is commonplace in sports, right? You all know what the show, who the showboats are, right? The showboats are the guys who, who, who love to flaunt and brag about their accomplishments and their skills because they think that they should be congratulated, right? <laughs> you see this in sports all the time. You've got the guy who plays football and, uh, and he scores the touchdown on the other side of the, of the, of, of the ball. Uh, you know, uh, he goes and he scores a touchdown, he gets into the end zone, and then he does his little touchdown dance, right? You know, that's the old Deion Sanders thing. That's, that's what they used to do back in the day. Or you do the high stepping on the way into the end zone and all that. Or you got the guy who would dunk, uh, like last night in the, uh, in the finals, Giannis, who caught an alley-oop and dunked and then stared at the camera. <laughs> but just said, I am in charge of this game right now. <laughs> we just won this game. It's over. All right? What is that? It's, it's showboating. You know? It, it's, it's, the, it's the guy who hits the home run, and then as he's walking over to first base, he just kind of takes the time, looks and sees how far the ball goes, and then he flips the bat, and he goes strutting his way, taking all the time in the world around the bases and everything, just to let everybody know the champ is here. Right? It's showboating. Uh, we want to flaunt to say, I am worthy of congratulation because of my stunning performance. You know, you see the same thing in culture, don't you? You see it in politics. The guys who campaign and they go from stump to stump, you know, and everything, talking about all of the wonderful things that they've done. You know, they, you know, I lowered taxes, I added jobs, I brought world peace, I, you know, put an end to the Middle Eastern conflict, and all of these other things that they say. What? They're flaunting. They're saying, hey, you should consider me because I and no one else but I can do these things. You see it in business. How hard is it for you to get a job without a stellar resume? I remember when I was looking for, uh, I was a younger guy, I was in college, and, and I sensed that the Lord was calling me to uh, some type of vocational ministry, and I didn't know anything about, you know, the church and being under the church and the church calling you and the church uh, uh, affirming your gifts and things like that. I just looked at it like, like every other uh, job, and I thought, well, what do I do? Well, I guess I've got to go around and, 
and put my resume out, you know, to all these different churches. And so that's exactly what I did. I went and I just started throwing my resume out to all these different churches. And they would all come back and they would say, well, here's the thing, kid. Um, you need a Master of Divinity. I didn't have a master's degree. I just came out of college. What do I know? Um, and you need about three to five years of experience. Well, if everybody's asking for three to five years of experience, I will never get the three to five years of experience. You see, but but that's what I've. Well, you know, what do they want? They want you to have something to show to say, hey, you are someone who is gifted and qualified for this position. You can't just waltz into some place and say, hey, I feel gifted to pastor. Let me pastor you. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And much like uh, in business and so on, you know that. You look at your resume, and, and you've got you to kind of show off a little bit. You've got to kind of flaunt. You know, I did this. I was a part of this uh, uh, activity. I did this, you know, uh, project and things like that. We use our Christmas cards that way, too. Some of us do, right? Oh, you know, Susie got accepted to this prestigious, you know, college and everything. And we went to, you know, Tahiti, and it was wonderful. And all these different, what are you doing? You know, you're, you're just kind of flexing a little bit, right? You know, look at what we did this year. We did all these things. What did you do? Oh, you, you had a cookout in your backyard. That's cute. But, but yeah, you know, let me tell you about the stuff that we did. You know, a little showboating. We even do this in parenting, don't we? Our kid has to be in this club and has to be on this team. In fact, they have to be on all the clubs. And they've got to be in all the teams, right? And, 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 and they've got to fill their, their, uh, their schedules with all these different activities. Why? Because that's the only way that they're going to get noticed. Ah, that's the only way that they're going to get noticed. Ah, because that's why we do it. We do it to be noticed. Remember the athlete who does it to be congratulated? Why? Because we live in a culture that says that your worth and your value is based on your performance. If Descartes could say, I think, therefore I am, it seems as if our culture lives by the mantra, I do, therefore I am. And so everything is, 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 is wrapped around what I'm able to accomplish, what I'm able to do. And if I do enough, then you can accept me. And if I don't do enough, then I'm utterly worthless. Perhaps that's even behind some of our uh, ethical issues in our culture when it comes to matters like abortion and euthanasia. I mean, what is that child in the womb accomplishing to society? What is, you know, the, 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 the elderly man or elderly woman whose mind has been ravaged with dementia and Alzheimer's, what do they contribute to society? They don't do, and therefore they are not. That's exactly how our culture works. You know, we live in this culture that, that, that's, that's performance-driven. And so we, we flaunt ourselves. We showboat to say, hey, look at all the things that I have done. And in fact, we even have this sense where, where we look at other people and we say, well, you haven't done as much as I have done. And so therefore, on the ranking system, I'm a, a bit higher than you are because I've done more. I've accomplished more than you have. Therefore, I should be congratulated more than you 
should be. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's no surprise then that many of us would think that God works the same way. You know, if we put together the right resume, we put together the right portfolio, then we can get that big promotion in the sky. We compare ourselves to others to make sure that we're on the right track. I did more than that person did. That person only went to church, you know, like every other week, you know, and everything. We went to church every single week. That's got to amount to something. We brag about our church going. We brag about our giving. We brag about our overall goodness. And we don't want to do it in front of people because that would be rude. But we sure enough feel that way in our minds and in our hearts, and we think that our performance will amount to something when we go before the Lord. But as we saw last week, God reveals a different way that we are accepted. <laughs> He's given his verdict, as we saw in the last paragraph. Guilty sinners are pronounced righteous. We call that justification. God pronounces the guilty righteous. And he's right to justify us because Jesus served the sentence that we deserved. We deserved the mocking. We deserve the flogging. We deserve the public humiliation. We deserve the pain of the whipping and the punching and the crown of thorns and the nailing to the cross. That was all of that was what we deserved. And Jesus took it for us. And on the basis of what he did in his perfect righteousness in our place as our substitute, we are counted righteous before God. God pronounces the guilty righteous. So where exactly does that leave our performance culture? Well, in this paragraph, Paul is going to tell us that justification sinks showboating. <laughs> justification sinks showboating. If this is the way that we are justified, then there is no way that we can brag about our performances. There's no way that we can flaunt our, our accomplishments or anything like that. There's no way that we can brag about our obedience because justification undermines all of that. And the only one in whom we can boast, as we just sang, our boast is in the Lord and in the Lord alone. To show us this, he's going he's to talk a, a little bit about the Jews. If you know, in Romans thus far, in the first three chapters, he's been going back and forth. He's been talking to the Gentiles, he's been talking to the Jews, talking to the Gentiles, talking to the Jews, and so on. He, so far in the first three chapters, he's been laying out the case that both Gentiles and Jews are, are sinners before God, and therefore we are all uh, uh, deserving of God's judgment as a result of, of, of what we have done. The Gentiles, remember, they're 
are two roads that lead to this exact same destination. You had the Gentiles who did not have the law. They didn't have the temple. They didn't have the covenants. They didn't have Israel's history and their pedigree. They were just living life every day just like we have today. Folks just doing their lives, waking up, doing their thing, maybe hitting the clubs. They had different words for clubs back then. But, but, but you know, they were doing all of these different ritual things that they did. And, uh, and, and then they die. And when they die, they go and face the judgment of God because nothing that they did was, was worthy of God's approval or God's acceptance. They were sinners before God, worshiping idols, uh, uh, doing pagan practices and so on, sacrificing children and all these other things that they did. Of course they're guilty of the judgment of God. And Paul is clear about that. They are going to receive the wrath of God. In fact, in chapter 1, the wrath of God is already on them. Present tense, not future tense. And so you could, you could imagine some of the Jews that are there that are sitting back and going, I know, right? I mean, that's just tragic. All these pagan people out here. Thank God we have the law. Thank God we have the covenants. Thank God we have the exodus. Thank God we have the temple. Thank God we have all these things. And Paul says, oh, slow your roll. Wait a second. Because having those things doesn't make you righteous. You can have the law, disobey it every day, and you're guilty of the same judgment that Gentiles are. They disobey God without the law. You disobey God with the law. You wind up in the same place. You wind up under the just judgment of God. But then he shows in chapter 3, well, the, the previous paragraph, that God justifies the Jew and he justifies the Gentile through Christ. Okay? So all of these things that the Jews would feel towards the Gentiles then, we're better than you. We're God's chosen people. We're the special ones. We are the elect, right? We are the children of Abraham. We are the, the recipients of the covenant and all that. Therefore, we are better than you. And Paul says, if justification is what justification is, you can never say that ever again. Because your life is wholeheartedly resting in the person and work of Christ not in yourself. See? So why, why can Paul say that? Why can he say, as he does in verse 27, what then becomes of our boasting? And the answer is, it is excluded. Okay? What, what then becomes of our boasting? Who can brag? Who can showboat? Who, who can gloat in our culture? The Jews? Nope. And if the Jews can't, with all the things that God has given them, then certainly no Gentile like us could ever boast either. It's all laid aside. All of it sinks because of justification. Okay, So let's see why that's the case. I think there are three reasons in this paragraph that Paul gives us for why justification puts an end to showboating, why showboating sinks uh, in the face of justification. Three reasons. Here's the first one. First, the ground of justification sinks showboating. The ground of justification sinks showboating. Look at 
verses 27 and 28. He says, what then uh, becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? He says, no. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. What's going on here? Well, as we saw in the previous paragraph, we are justified not on the basis of our righteousness, but on the basis of the righteousness of Christ. Okay? Now, I've got to clarify this, because I don't think you're hearing how radical of a statement this is. When he says works of the law, he's not talking about some generic form of legalism. Like, you know, I'm, I, I'm a good person because, you know, I eat vegan or something like that. Or I'm a good person because my clothes are responsibly sourced and not going through sweatshops or, or things like that. None of that is, is directly stated in the Bible. When he says that we are just, when he, or when he refers to the works of the law, he's referring to the commands that God gave us in the Bible. So let me clarify what he means when he says this. He says, we are justified by faith and not by obeying the commands of Scripture. Yeah, that sounds radical, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm, I am right before God, not because I obey his commands. Now, if you're a Jew, that just about like short circuits your brain, doesn't it? I mean, for thousands of years, you've had Torah, the law. Again, the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what he's referring to. They've had this this code of commands from God. And if they obeyed the commands of God, the law says, you'll be blessed. And if you disobey the commands, you'll be cursed. But that doesn't mean, then, that if I obey the commands of God, then I am right before God. No, it doesn't. Why? Well, for starters, because you can't. There's no way in the world that you could obey everything that it says. I believe it was the, the, the rabbi uh, Maimonides who said that, I, and I'm going to get this number wrong, but it was something like 637 laws uh, in, that are stated in the first five books of the Bible. Yeah, have fun with that. I mean, all the way down to, sorry, I need a moment. No shellfish. Do you know what that means for a Marylander? You know, where, where are the stitions? This, this hurts, you know, to, to say no shell. I can't have my blue crabs. No, you can't because you're unclean if you do. Yeah. <laughs> Eric just said it's totally worth it. Um, <laughs> you know, no pork. That's like the most unclean animal there is in the, in the, in the Old Testament. I can't, I can't have my bacon. We can't do Carolinians. Come on. No whole hog. You know, and all of this. And, and so, th- I mean, those are, are, are commands that are there in the law. 
so is other things, or so are other things like, you know, uh, sexual temptation and things like that. You can't be, you know, having these relationships with, with different people who are not your spouse. So it's also stealing. So it's even little things like you've got property and you've got a property line and you can't move that property line. You know, if you move that property line, you are breaking God's law. I mean, they're just over and over again. How you did your hair, uh, uh, even cross-dressing is mentioned in the law. I hope that's not an issue, but crazy things happen. And, uh, and, but you have all of these different laws and commands that are going on in the scriptures in the first five books. And if you disobey one of them, one of them, one, then you've broken God's law. So that's for starters. You're not justified by obeying God's commands because, well, you, you are already disqualified from obeying God's commands. You've already broken his commands. All of us have done that once in our lives. And I'm just going to guess that we've done it more than once. Okay? So, no, you're not justified by that. Rather, you are justified by trusting in the one who did obey God. You trust in the one who has obeyed God's commands, all of them, perfectly, all the time. Think about this when we talk about our Lord. Never once did our Lord have an impure thought. Every single thought that went through the mind of Jesus was righteous. That's amazing. Every single word that came out of the mouth of Jesus was righteous. Every single deed that he had, that he accomplished, was righteous. Jesus never did anything with wrong motives. Jesus never tried to fudge the numbers. Jesus never told a half-truth. Jesus never tried to manipulate the facts. Every single thing Jesus did, every single thing he thought, every single thing he felt, every single thing he desired was righteous. And on the basis of his righteousness, we are righteous. We're justified by faith and not by works of the law. You're not justified by obeying God's commands. You're justified by trusting in the one who fully obeyed God's commands. Now, let me just ask you a question. Because I'm sure that many of us that are here actually want to be good people. I think. <laughs> if you are that, if you, you want to be good, you look at your record and you say, I've done really good things in my life. I, I, I'm faithful to my spouse. I, I raise my kids right. I, I, I go to church. I love my neighbors. I try to be kind-hearted. I don't try to say anything mean-spirited and all of these different things. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. Praise God for that. But would you rather trust in your ability to obey God's commands? Or would you rather trust in Jesus's ability to obey God's commands? Would you lay your, your eternity on your ability to do what's right? Or would you lay your eternity on Jesus's ability to do what's right? Now, here's the thing, and this goes back to the point here. 
if I am trusting wholeheartedly on Jesus' ability to do what's right. What in the world do I have to brag about? My record is, is gone. I'm not basing my life on my record. God is not basing my life on my record. That's awesome. God doesn't look at you and say, well, first you've got to show me your resume. God does not look at you and say, hey, first off, we need to, before, before I can accept you, before you can come into my family or anything like that, first things first, I just need, I just need to see your portfolio. I just got to see what you've done. Wins and losses. That's what I, I'm judging this on. Your wins and your losses. That's not our God. That's not our God. Rather, we serve the God who looks at Jesus and looks at his undefeated record, 100% wins, zero losses, and he says, on the basis of his performance, I accept you. Now, here's another question. I want you to think about this. If I am totally resting on the perfection and the righteousness of Christ, whenever am I not accepted by God? My failure to obey God does not take anything away from my acceptance before God because it's not based on my performance. Do you, do you get what's going on here? The only way that I cannot be accepted before God if I'm trusting on Jesus is if Jesus fails. We know from the faithfulness of our Lord that he will never fail to please his Father. And so if I am trusting in him, then I have confidence from now into eternity that God will always accept me and he will never reject me. And that's good news. Because Jesus will never fail. Mm. So I have no, nothing to boast in. My record doesn't, doesn't mean anything, uh, uh, at least in terms of justification and being made right before God. There's no way that my, that my record would ever add up. I'm not trusting in it to begin with. I'm trusting in Jesus. So I don't have, to, I, I don't, I don't have anything to brag about in terms of my moral supremacy or superiority over anybody. No, I recognize myself as I am. I am a wretch. That's why you read uh, some of the lyrics of old hymns. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Do you know how discouraging that is to hear that you're a wretch? Oh, it gets even better. Uh, you have a song, um, uh, Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and, 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 and did my sovereign die? You know, um, uh, uh, would he promote, uh, what's, the, what's, the, what's that line? Oh, would he devote, yeah, 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 for such a worm as I. That's even worse. I mean, it's one thing to be a wretch. It's another thing to be this little slimy little thing wiggling all around. the place. I'm a worm before the Lord. And that's good news. It's good news because the Lord calls wretches and worms righteous. <laughs> I can praise the Lord. And I don't have to worry and fret about my performance because Jesus is the one. Jesus is the one that my entire life and my entire righteousness is based upon. Okay?
So the ground of justification by faith, not by works, sinks showboating. Secondly, the God of justification sinks showboating. Look what he says in verse 29. He says, or, so this is in addition to his, his case here, or, is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Now, the question you have to ask is, why in the world would Paul ask that question? I mean, that's, that's an interesting question to ask. Is God the God of Jews only? Why would he ask that? Well, because if you're justified by works of the law, if you're justified by obeying God's commands, Gentiles all over the world have zero access to the commands of God in Scripture. Even to this day, there are billions of people in this world who have no Bible in their language. None. They have zero access. I know that's weird for us Americans to comprehend because we've got a bajillion different translations of the Bible. We not only have the Bible in our, in our language, we have the Bible in just about every dialect. I mean, there are some Bibles that say y'all. <laughs> you know, I've heard, I've seen even uh, one Bible that talks about, um, what is it called? It's called the, uh, um, like the street Bible or something like that, where they, where they use, where they use uh, street language and everything, you know, slang and all of that, you know, uh, for, for the Bible. And uh, they, we have these types of things, cowboy Bibles, you know, uh, uh, hood Bibles, you know, <laughs> and everything, everything in between. We've got the message with paraphrasing and all of these different things. There are places in the world where there is zero Bible, none at all. So if the Jews have access to the Bible back then, and none of the other Gentiles have the access to the Bible unless they are in some type of contact with the Jewish people, then it would seem that God is only here to justify the Jews if justification comes by obeying God's commands. So that's the question that he's asking. Is God just the God of the Jews? Isn't he the God of Gentiles also? And he says, yes, he is the God of Gentiles also. Verse 30, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. What Paul does here is spectacular. Okay, Paul here is saying, our justification is one circumcised, uncircumcised, through Jesus, and only through Jesus, because our God is one. And that goes to the very heart and core of the Jewish faith. Deuteronomy 6.4, it's called the Shema. It's called the Shema because the first word in Deuteronomy 6.4 in Hebrew is Shema, which means hear, okay? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So on the basis of his oneness, okay, uh, we recognize that justification uh, for the circumcised is the same way as justification for the uncircumcised. Why? Because there's one God. 
And so therefore there's one way to please that God. It's not the Jews go one way and the Gentiles go another way. No, because if there was a judgment, if you will, and the verdict was one for one and the verdict would be one for the other, then either you've got a double-minded, wishy-washy God or you've got two gods. And Paul's saying there, none of these are options. You can't have a wishy-washy God. Well, that's not a God. You can't have two gods if Deuteronomy is true. There's one God. And if there's one God, he has one intention, he has one standard, and that is Jesus. This is so cool. This is so cool. The God of the Bible is not a tribal God. Now, we go here and we talk Jew and Gentile and everything, and we go, yeah, amen, Jew, Gentile, woo! Uh, can I have a conversation about us Gentiles? Let, let, let's talk Gentiles here for just a moment, okay? Because we hear Jew and Gentile, and we, it just kind of goes, woo, right over our heads, right? We just go, ah, okay, you know, cool, so Jews are Gentiles. If anything, we go, that's great news, because that means that Gentiles are justified. Yeah, Gentiles, that's us, we're justified. Okay, hold up, hold up, hold up. What about us American Gentiles? Do we act like if you're going to be like a Christian, I mean like a real, real Christian, you got to kind of be American. I mean, after all, we're the ones with the Bible. We're the ones with the Bible belt, right? We're, we're the ones who have, you know, who have obeyed the Bible. We're, we are God's chosen people and all the other things that we've learned growing up. And so therefore, if we're going to be right before God, you kind of have to like be on our team, okay? Because we're America. We're God's country. Hoorah, right? That's not what the Bible says. You mean to tell me that someone in China could be justified before God? Yes. That's not new. You mean to tell me that someone in North Korea, someone in Russia, someone, someone in Afghanistan, you mean to tell me that if anybody anywhere would turn from their sin and turn in wholehearted trust and faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, God will look at them and say, righteous. Yes. Guess what? That's the only way that you can be right before God. And that's the only way that anybody else can be right before God. Notice how the Lord flattens the terrain that we have made in our world, where we say, we're all the way up on this pedestal. By the way, we call that showboating. That's the boasting that Paul's going after here. We're all the way up on this pedestal, and everybody else is down there. That's not the way the Bible reads. That's not the way the Bible reads. So that means that we need to check our nationalism, because in many ways our nationalism runs counter to the doctrine of justification. And we need to check our ethno-supremacy, because that runs counter to justification by faith. Do you see what's going on here? Paul is dismantling our sense of supremacy and superiority and we're better than everybody and I'm this skin tone and therefore I'm the best or I'm from this country and therefore I'm the best. And Paul says, none of that matters in the courtroom of God. You get into the courtroom of God and either you trust in Jesus or you're guilty looks at all of us and he says on the basis of what my son has done black white 
brown, American, Western, Eastern, Middle Eastern, Southeastern, above the equator, below the equator. You come from a a democracy. You come from a communist country. You come from any of these different places. You trust in Jesus, you're right before me. That's why Galatians 3 could say there is therefore neither Jew nor Greek. That's why Colossians 3 could say there is neither Jew nor Greek. You go, what is he doing? Is he taking away ethnicity? Is he taking away nationality? No. But what he's saying is none of those things make you right before God. Christ and Christ alone make you right before God. Notice also, and if I could just, I'm having a little fun here. Notice also how this completely upends our sense of identity and our sense of family. Because if the Lord is out to be the God of Jews and the God of Gentiles and the God of other Gentiles and the God of those Gentiles and the God of them Gentiles and all of that, if this is the way that God justifies then I look at somebody who's of a different country, I look at someone of a different ethnicity, I look at someone from a different socioeconomic status, and if they're in Christ just like I'm in Christ, we're brother and sister. And that means that the bond that we have is stronger than any other bond there is. The question is, for us, do we let this doctrine of justification by faith identify us? Do we roll with this? Or do we just do a little hat tip to it and then we go back on uh, into the way things used to be? This is the question for every single one of us. Are we going to let this identify us? And so therefore the hurts of people who are from a different demographic from, uh, than I am, but their hurts are real hurts. Their sorrows are real sorrows, or their joys are real joys. If we're in Christ, can we share those things? Because who we are in Christ, justified and righteous before God, that sets the tone for how we understand ourselves and how we understand other people. Notice how showboating just completely crumbles to pieces. Why? Because this is the God who justifies. He's the God of the Jews and the God of the Gentiles, and he justifies both through the person and work of Christ. Third, the goal of justification sinks showboating. You can imagine somebody's listening to all of this, and they're just like, hold up, hold up, hold up. Paul, do you realize that when you say we are justified by obeying uh, or by, 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 by trusting in Jesus who obeyed all of God's commands, not by our own obedience to God's commands. Do you realize that when you say that, you are completely upending thousands and thousands and thousands of years of Jewish teaching? Do you realize when you say that, you sound anti-Semitic? You sound anti-law? Oh, 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 I know what you are. You're one of those liberal rabbis, aren't you? You're one of those guys who has no concern for commands, no concern for the law, no concern for all of that. You are only about this radical accepting all people from all cultures and all of that into uh, the family of God. You're trying to get rid of the rules. You're trying to get rid of the guardrails. 
You're trying to get rid of distinctions and boundaries and all of that. That's what's going on when they ask the question in verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? You could say, do we then nullify the law by this faith? Paul, you're an anti-law guy. That's your problem. You don't like commands. And so you just concocted this theology that says, woo, no commands. Everybody, you know, it's a, it's a fire sale. Everybody just run in, you know, and, and get what you can from the, uh, from the Lord because he doesn't have standards anymore. And Paul says, as you've already gotten used to in Romans, when you see there, by no means, that's that double negative. He's done this a few times in the letter. Meganoita, in other words, absolutely not. Don't go there. That's what he's saying here. No. All right. We're not nullifying the law, but notice, on the contrary, we uphold the law. Note. If you say that we are justified by works of the law, given the fact that nobody can obey the law fully, you say that you can get in with God by being good enough, then who really is nullifying the law? The one who says you don't have to perfectly obey the law, right? So the ones who are nullifying the law are the ones who are saying you can get in by works of the law knowing that you can't obey everything that the law commands. Rather, this way of justification says the way that you get in is by perfect obedience to the law. But you can't perfectly obey, so you trust in the one who has. We're not nullifying the law. We're upholding the law. Justification by faith is the only way that the law is 100% affirmed. It's 100% affirmed because we believe in Jesus who 100% obeyed it. And on the basis of his obedience, all of us can come in. Every single one of us. This is good news. And notice once again that all showboating sinks. Why? Because now I'm saying I have to obey all of God's commands if I'm ever going to justify myself. And I can't do it. By affirming this, I'm saying I cannot do it. Only Jesus can, and he has. And I trust in him with my life. He's everything. He is everything. My question for you is, is this you? Do you trust in Jesus? Have you placed everything on him? I love a hymn like Rock of Ages that would say, thou must save and thou alone. That would say, wash me, Savior, or I die. Do you have that kind of desperation? Do you have that kind of desperation? Lord, the only way that I can stand before the holy and righteous judge, is if I stand in you. And that's it. Do you talk about Jesus that way? I love my, my great-grandmother. We called her Granny. Frazilia Abraham. She died at 97 years old several years ago. And I remember, 
in fact, I, I don't remember this not happening, that we would have some type of large gathering, and any time we would ask Granny to pray, we all knew how this was going to work. <laughs> Granny would start praying. And she'd be praying for, you know, uh, praising the Lord for his goodness and his grace. And she'd start thanking him for her family and thanking her for her grandchildren, thanking her for her great-grandchildren, that would be us, and then my children, her great-great-grandchildren. And every single time she'd pray, after about five minutes or so, it would just kind of crumble. <laughs> And, and this tightly worded prayer just kind of broke down and because she would break down. And she would just start crying, and she would just lift her hands up and just go, God, I thank you. I just, I thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And, and we would all just kind of be sitting there. I remember in my younger years, I'd go, I, I really want to eat. Um, can, can, can we, can we just say, I mean, you can keep on thanking them, but can you say amen so we can eat, you know, but, but the older I got, the more I understood exactly what was going on. This was a woman whose entire life rested on Jesus. And when your life rests in the hands of Jesus and not on your performance, but on his performance, and you realize that your eternity is sure because he's faithful. All of a sudden, what else can you say? But thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And that's where we will be from now into eternity. Why do people lay down their lives for Jesus? Because he's everything. Why are people bold and courageous to share their faith with him? Because he's everything. See, why do people, when they start talking about him, they, they beam from ear to ear or they just break down in tears because he's everything to them? question is, is Jesus everything to you? Are you resting everything, your entire eternity, all of your existence on Jesus? If so, then there is no way that you can showboat about yourself, but there is all the reason in the world that you can brag about him. And my prayer for you is that that is exactly what we would be. A people where people, where others can look at us and they say, what, what are you all about? And they can look very clearly and very easily and say, we're not about ourselves. We know who we are. <laughs> our contribution to the salvation is the sin. <laughs> That's our contribution. Um, Jesus is everything. He's everything. And because he is faithful, we are right before the Lord. No bragging about us. All bragging on him. Amen. And maybe one day, in his grace, <laughs> we will stand before him. And because of the work of Jesus, we will wear a chain for all of heaven too. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and for your kindness. Thank you for Jesus, our Savior. We pray, Lord, that you would be magnified as we boast not in ourselves, but totally in Jesus. Lord, I pray uh, for anyone that is here today um, who is trusting in their morality, for anyone here who's trusting even perhaps in their ethnicity or their nationality. Father, I pray that they would see these things to be hollow in your courtroom and empty. 
either Jesus is our righteousness or we are trusting in our righteousness that is so flawed and full of holes and could never stand before you. Father, we give you praise for giving us a faithful Savior, perfectly obedient, totally righteous. We trust in him. And we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified, that you would be praised as the only one, our only hope, and our sure help. Lord, if there's anyone here that does not believe, may they turn from their sin. May they trust in Jesus with us. May they be covered with the righteousness that can only be found in him. We give you all praise in Jesus' name.